and welcome to the Iran Podcast. I'm your host, Negar Murtazavi in Washington, D.C. In this episode, you hear a conversation about the Iran nuclear deal and how the European Union is trying to mediate between Tehran and Washington. I joined a panel discussion on The Newsmakers, a show on TRT World, with guests Hassan Ahmadian at Tehran University and Ali Fatullah Najad at American University of Beirut. Here's our conversation about Iran nuclear negotiations. A couple of weeks ago, Iran told the UN it had begun enriching uranium up to 20% using new, more sophisticated centrifuges at an underground facility. Now, the announcement again set off alarm bells. So the EU's high representative for foreign affairs sprang into action. In an op-ed in the Financial Times, Josep Borrell announced he'd submitted a new plan for a nuclear accord, one that couldn't include a better compromise. And with that promise came assurances. He wrote, We know that in Tehran there are significant reservations over fully implementing a deal after the negative experience of recent years. The deal on the table reflects the commitment of President Joe Biden and U.S. assurances in this regard. As a result, the deal is better protected from potential unilateral moves to undermine it. So the deal may represent Biden's commitment, but in the U.S., there's no telling if Biden will actually stay in office beyond his first term. A recent Gallup poll set his approval rating at just 38 percent. So what would happen to this deal if Republicans take back the White House in a little over two years' time? Well, the former vice president, who has his eye on the top job, has been very clear about what he would do. And now President Biden and his administration are threatening to unravel all the progress we made in marginalizing the tyrannical regime in Tehran. Today, we call on the Biden administration to immediately withdraw from all nuclear negotiations with Tehran. So while prominent Republicans are holding their hard line against any deal with Iran, the EU insists its new proposal will protect against the U.S. unilateralism that derailed the JCPOA back in 2018. But Iran's chief negotiator says his government has a few ideas of its own. Following recent talks in Vienna, Ali Bagheri Khani tweeted, We shared our proposed ideas to pave the way for a swift conclusion of Vienna negotiations, which were aimed at fixing the damaging, complicated situation caused by the U.S. unilateral and unlawful withdrawal. Now, we are still waiting for the specifics of the EU's new proposal, but how much room... Is there for real compromise? And has Iran's nuclear development since the U.S. withdrew from the JCPOA, has it passed that proverbial point of no return? Here now to debate that are from the Iranian capital, Hassan Ahmadian. He's an assistant professor of Middle East studies at the University of Tehran. From Berlin, Ali Fatola Najad. He is an Iran expert at the American University of Beirut and the author of Iran in an Emerging New World Order, from Ahmadinejad to Rouhani. And finally, Negar Mortazavi joins us from Washington, D.C. She's a journalist, political analyst, and host of the Iran podcast. Thanks all so much for being with us. Let me start in Tehran. Hassan Ahmadian, you know, it seems some in Iran suspect this new proposal to be really just a repackaging of, of old material with an added element of pressure on it. So what new can even be offered at this point? What other compromises could be made that that haven't been offered already? Hello. I think, uh, well, uh, basically, 
reflecting on the debates here, the Iranians see that uh, majority of, you know, uh, strategists see that the main compromises have been already done back in 2015, and uh, restoring the deal uh, should be basically the main issue here. Uh, but they, they also want guarantees, uh, and that, I think, is the lingering, the main lingering issue for now. So I don't see much to uh, be offered uh, uh, in addition to what has already been agreed upon beside the guarantees. And that has been the uh, issue that uh, the two parties, specifically around the United States, have uh, not seen uh, uh, any uh, you know, middle ground to agree on uh, this issue, this specific issue. So I think the main packet, the, the, the proposal, the European proposal should have to do with this uh, issue and uh, the Iranian reflection on it, I think, is also related to this issue. But so far, we don't know sp uh, specifically what uh, the, the, basically the proposal is about. But is the feeling in Tehran either still, you know, either go back to the conditions of 2015 or nothing? Yeah, of course. That's the main issue. I mean, the, the, the Iranians basically call it the uh, negotiations for the restoration of the 2015 deal and lifting of the uh, oppressive sanctions. That's the term it is, uh, that is used here. That's the main, uh, you know, theme here. So all the negotiations, uh, according to Iranian officials, should focus on what has already been agreed on and that uh, the United States should, uh, because it was uh, the violating party in 2015 okay. under President Trump, it should also provide guarantees that it will not do that again in the future. Right. Negar, I mean, as for those guarantees, how can the EU actually give assurances that a unilateral U.S. move won't derail this new nuclear deal, you know, should whatever these conditions are now being proposed pass, where are the real guarantees that the U.S. can't do what it did back in 2018? Well, Andrea, there are no absolute guarantees because of the way the system, the democracy here in the U.S. is set up. And essentially, if there was any continuity in U.S. foreign policy, even with a change of parties, with President Trump, we realized that all of that continuity could also be cut. So there's no absolute guarantee. But I also think that is, to some extent, understood in Tehran. So what I think the two sides should be doing as far as bridging this gap, and hopefully with the help of the European Union, is try to arrive at a midpoint where there isn't a unicorn absolute guarantee provided that Joe Biden can offer. But I think there are creative ways that also with the help of EU ensuring economic um, benefits, even in the case of another U.S. unilateral move, um, or also upfront guarantees in a way that would compensate, saying uh, in the case that such a move happens again, that it would sort of offset. But I think both sides need to make more of a political decision rather than a, um, a technical mm. decision to arrive at this midpoint and bridge, bridge the existing gap. It's interesting, Nagar, because Joseph Borrell says, you know, the harsh sanctions approach has failed and now joint responsibility needs to be taken to avert what he's saying could be a nuclear crisis. The problem is the U.S. does not think those harsh sanctions are failing. In fact, they think they are effective. Well, 
I think, yeah, and that's the surprise here because I'm actually not quite sure what the long-term strategy of the Biden administration is. We saw candidate Biden, his senior officials under President Trump criticize President Trump for doing this exact same policy, for putting pressure and sanctions, assuming that it would bring back results, and also promising that they would make a U-turn on whatever the Trump policy was. But I guess once entering the White House and, you know, the administration— um, they have been afraid of the political consequences or, let's say, the backlash that they actually witnessed under the Obama-Biden administration when a deal was, was made with Iran. So I think it's a um, complicated situation. They're caught between a domestic backlash that they're afraid of facing and also an, a longer-term international conflict that is brewing mm. with the lack of diplomacy with Iran. Right. You know, Ali, 11 months eight meetings in Vienna, ending in in really no progress. And then in June, we saw Iran actually censured by the IAEA for failing to explain some um, uranium particles that they detected at at various locations. Looking back, though, I want to look back at that censure itself now. We had 30 out of 35 IAEA members approving it, while China, Russia, China and Russia rejected it, India, Pakistan, and Libya abstained. How much does that actually indicate about how empowered Iran might feel, knowing that, you know, no matter what, it in a sense has some powerful allies that will protect, protect its interests in the IAEA? Uh, well, first of all, uh, I'm not sure if uh, those powerful allies are going to step in at uh, every uh, you know, occasion that Iran would then want to step in. Mm-hmm. Uh, as you might know, there is also some concerns in Tehran over the role that Russia has played during the JCPOA process. And as you know, the Russians have tried to derail the talks right after um, their invasion of uh, Ukraine. Um, but um, if uh, but this IAEA um, Board of Governors uh, resolution has indeed been critical vis-a-vis Iran, but nevertheless, I don't see any major consequences uh, from that uh, you know, from uh, that IAEA decision. Iran has is continuing to pursue its nuclear escalation strategy um, that uh, you know it has started in response to Trump's uh, maximum pressure strategy. And um, so this is, um, you know, it's trying to elevate its bargaining leverage. Mm-hmm. And if I may inject um, on the question that you posed uh, just uh, before, uh, I doubt that the Biden administration is thinking that sanctions is working. I mean, they have, uh, they uh, repeated so, uh, repeated uh, numerously that they strongly believe that Trump's maximum pressure sanctions uh, on Iran have been counterproductive. Right, but it's, it's the Republicans in Congress that are, that are going to fight well, to continue with pressure. the sanctions. Yeah. This is true, yes, precisely. It is what right. I was going to say, because um, now more recently, Biden administration officials have, uh, you know, more talked about uh, imposing sanctions, mm-hmm. uh, not least because of domestic pressure from the Republicans, but also because of Iran's strategy of nuclear escalation. And what is important to understand, I think, since, um, um, you know, uh, my colleague from Tehran has uh, talked about Iranian strategists, it's clear that Iran's strategy is very much based on the perception of weakness by the West. And if you see that the U.S. and EU officials have uh, numerously, despite, uh, you know, numerous Iranian actions um, that may have been, uh, you know, considered counterproductive, sad that they are still very much interested to return to the deal. 
You know what, though, Ali, I have to mention that you had actually said that Iran going nuclear would even have negative ramifications for partners, including China and Russia. What do you mean? How, how would the ramifications really be so negative for, for China and Russia? Well, this statement is, uh, for, first of all, very true before the invasion of, uh, you know, Russia's invasion uh, of Ukraine, because Russia is now is also facing Western sanctions. So Russian behavior might, may be changing now. But what I meant by that is that neither Russia nor China are interested to see an emboldened uh, Iran that has nuclear weapons, uh, because uh, this would not allow the continuation of the nature of bilateral relationships, be it between China and Iran or between Russia and Iran, uh, that is characterized by an, by an asymmetry of power uh, to the detriment of Tehran. So, of course, uh, a nuclear Iran may be more emboldened, but then again, a nuclear Iran has also a lot of negative consequences uh, that uh, also have to be taken into account. Okay, let me ask Hassan if, if you agree on that point, re-Russia and China. Well, I think uh, non-proliferation is not only a U.S. policy, it's a uh, P5 policy, the UN, a U.M. policy. So I think uh, Russia, China, and other members of the Security Council uh, are against uh, uh, any new country going nuclear, I mean, uh, uh, building its own nuclear arsenal. Uh, so that's clear, uh, but uh, it's not a, I mean, uh, the Iran did not really cross uh, 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 to that uh, uh, direction uh, its previous policy. It did not transform uh, its strategy of uh, nuclear pressure into, you know, going uh, 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 weaponization of its nuclear program. I think it, it has been very vocal on using this file because it's the main bargaining chip it had vis-a-vis -vis the United States that have all the uh, options, as it says, on the on the table that uh, include the uh, military option. They have the main, uh, you know, th their main uh, option is uh, the nuclear within the nuclear file. So they have been piling pressure vis-a-vis -vis the United States that is using the maximum pressure. And I mean, uh, touching upon what has been discussed, I think that though the Biden administration has been critical to Trump's maximum pressure and its uh, uh, sanctions campaign on Iran, it had really stick, uh, it has been, uh, you know, uh, enforcing the same strategy, it didn't change it. It has added basically to the already existing sanctions on Iran. So the maximum pressure campaign is in full force under Biden, just as it was under Trump. That's why the Iranians don't see that much of a uh, 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 okay. uh, trust in this new administration. They didn't uh, see it uh, in the past year, and I think they won't see it in the future as well. That, that's why they are fo uh, focusing on the issue of guarantees this time. Hassan, I have to ask you something, because it, it's, it's fundamental. Um, you know, while those in the West believe Iran wants to build a nuclear weapon, uh, some in the West, I should say, Iran has always said that is not what it wants, uh, and it's against Islam itself to build nuclear weapons. So, so explain why there is this absolute fear that Iran is not only building a nuclear weapon, but uh, that some believe wants to use a nuclear weapon against its enemies as well. 
Well, that's different perceptions. Within Iran, the highest authority has issued a fatwa that is a religious ruling saying that it's forbidden in our religion to build a nuclear weapon. Uh, the Western parties do, do, do not uh, trust Iran. Uh, but the irony is that they have uh, ruined, the United States has ruined the main uh, mechanism that would bar Iran from building a nuclear weapon, from developing its nuclear program uh, that happened in 2018 with the U.S. withdrawal from the JCPOA. Actually, I haven't seen many experts or any expert basically uh, uh, debating or opposing the, uh, uh, the, the notion that the JCPOA has put limits on Iran's nuclear program and put it under severe uh, 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 you know, uh, 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 IAEA verification mechanism that has been unprecedented in the history of nonproliferation worldwide. So it basically stopped Iran from moving to that direction, even if it had decided to do so. You know, Iran's nuclear chief, uh, Mohammed Aslami, has said that Iran has the technical means to produce an atomic bomb, but that Iran has no intention of doing so. Has Iran's nuclear program, though, come too far already? The knowledge it's gained, you know, since Trump withdrew from the JCPOA can't be taken back. So is it in some senses too late? I agree that the JCPOA was the best vehicle or the limit to put on limit and monitoring and verification to put on this nuclear program the world's most extensive uh, monitoring um, system on any nuclear program to ensure that instead of us speculating that there would be a UN watchdog monitoring this program to ensure that it doesn't break through and, um, you know, move from a civilian into a weapons program. Now, it hasn't happened yet. Iran is trying to in a way, escalate to gain leverage, I think, is what they're seeing on their side by this escalation. They're trying to gain leverage when it comes to the negotiations. But it's so far, I think they're pushing the limits to a point that is not of a no return. Mm. And I don't think while this supreme leader at least is alive, which would be um, while, while he is supreme leader, that that fatwa uh, would be renegged. So the religious decree, essentially, or the fatwa against the production of nuclear weapons will stay until this supreme leader is in power and alive. But after that, um, I can't guarantee because there could always be fatwas over fatwas. So that's one issue, the mm. political, religious view of that in Tehran. But also when it comes to actual practice, the way to monitor and ensure the program doesn't um, move from civilian to weapons is, is to have these monitorings in place, and that was called the JCPOA, the Nuclear Deal, the Joint uh, Comprehensive Plan of Action, which unfortunately hasn't been revived yet. It's interesting. I mean, you've actually made the point, you know, the U.S. can change its policy, and technically so can Iran. This fatwa can be overruled. Um, hopefully that won't be the case, but yeah, both sides can have issues with actually dramatically changing uh, their foreign policy. Uh, but you know what? We're, we're down to our last few minutes. So, uh, Ali, you know, the EU says there's this new proposal. It couldn't be a better compromise. So, I mean, if this fails, is it game over? Uh, there is uh, high doubt whether the European Union can effectively step into how to provide some kind of guarantees for the Iranians uh, to return to the deal. So uh, the main strategic decision uh, going to still remain uh, in both Washington and in Tehran. 
And of course, the EU can be uh, helpful here. But I'm not sure if we, uh, we are at the end of the road. Um, so what we've seen uh, over this past year or so, uh, we've, been, we've seen the, uh, you know, um, th this very uh, fragile situation where Iran has been driving up its uh, bargaining leverage uh, through its nuclear program, but also uh, some of its actions uh, in the region. Um, and what the uh, what the Iranian officials have seen as a reaction from the West was kind of lukewarm. Um, so uh, both Washington and the European Union have time and again reiterated their willingness to return to the deal. So this is uh, so as long as this perception in Tehran exists about uh, an alleged Western weakness and the lack of a uh, plan B. Uh, that could be pursued vis-a-vis uh, -vis Iran, because after all, the nuclear issue is not the m most important issue uh, when it comes to the antagonism between the United States and Iran. I don't see major ch changes happening. Hassan, I, I want to get your take on that as well. Well, I think, uh, you know, uh, taking into account the alternative, uh, which is escalation and uh, uh, not so beautiful picture of a future without the JCPOA, I think all parties are eyeing the revival of the JCPOA. Differences have been there. Of course, there have been always talks on, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, the, the limit, the time limit that the parties are facing. I mean, a year ago, uh, some parties to the JCPOA have been, uh, talked about two weeks, three weeks, one month max to revive the JCPOA, otherwise uh, it won't worth it. So I think uh, uh, I, th I don't uh, buy that. I think uh, basically uh, diplomacy doesn't have limits. Time can, uh, uh, you know, be extended, uh, uh, provided that there's a political will to go to that direction. So I think uh, all parties have shown that they want the deal revived. But of course, there are different strategies, and it can take time to bridge differences. Okay, you know, Negar, that's go, oh, go ahead, Ali. Yeah. Um, I think also in terms of Tehran decision-making uh, that Hassan has talked about, I think it is important to uh, observe whether we're going to see uh, the prevalence of economic urgency now in Tehran, despite this widening uh, economic crisis uh, in the country. So far from the new Raisi administration, we've seen some kind of deprioritization of the economy, which is, of course, a continuity over much of the history of the Islamic Republic. But, um, you know, uh, there has been uh, the desire uh, in the Raisi administration to claim political victory and to strike a better deal than the Rouhani administration. And uh, this is why, uh, you know, a lot of uh, observers uh, are asking why there is no uh, economic urgency now uh, to go back to the deal and um, pointing to other priorities that the current administration at this point of time at least may have. Negara, if you can comment on that economic urgency issue, because, you know, we've seen sanctions fail in, in so many different respects. Some say we're witnessing it right now with the sanctions that are on Russia, uh, actually building strength in Russia in, in a sense of unity against uh, the West, and that that is, in a sense, what the West does to Iran. Instead of, yes, it might be hurting the economy, but it, it strengthens Iran's resolve in some way. Do you think this, there's a sense of economic urgency or no? Well, there is from the viewpoint of the population. Research after research has shown that sanctions do actually weaken the economy, but the burden is put on the shoulder of the population, the average person, the average Iranian, 
working class, middle class, and not necessarily every aspect of the government or the regime as the sanctioning party would like to put that pressure. But there is a sense of economic urgency in Iran, and that's why I think both when we talk about both sides wanting the deal, the Iranians definitely want economic benefits, and it's still worth it for them, I think, at this point, even the economic benefits, the foreign reserves that they would have access to. From the viewpoint of the U.S., they would also be having resolving a problem and just get it out of the way, because the Joe Biden administration has so many domestic and international issues, especially with Russia's attack on Ukraine now, that this is just one extra problem that they can just resolve and put it aside and deal with the other uh, issues that okay. they're dealing with. But it's also complicated as we're getting closer to the midterm elections here in the U.S. Hassan, one minute. Quick final thoughts. Well, I think uh, uh, basically uh, the economic pressure is there and the Iranians are under pressure. But the, one of the biggest mistakes that I think the Biden administration uh, has, has, has done is building on that pressure and uh, trying to extract more concessions based on it. The political culture and the strategic culture of Iran has shown time and again that pressure would not uh, uh, bring Iran to basically concessions to other parties, pressurizing parties. Uh, if anything, it can be counterproductive, leading Iran to put uh, counter, I mean, try to counter-pressure the party that is pressurizing it. In this case, Iran is up in the ante within the nuclear file, trying to put more pressure on the United States, saying that uh, the maximum pressure would, will only lead Iran to basically elevate uh, and, and, and uh, enhance okay. its uh, uh, nuclear advancements within the country. Hassan Ahmadian, you are going to have to have the final word. We are completely out of time for this edition of the Newsmakers. I'd like to thank Ali Fatola Nejad and Negar Mortazavi as well for joining us on this edition of the Newsmakers. Our viewers, of course, for tuning in as well. Remember to subscribe to our YouTube channel. I'm Andrea Sankey, and we'll see you next time. That was a conversation I had on the show Newsmakers on TRT World Television. And thank you for tuning into the Iran podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app and leave a review and rate us. You can also support our work by going to anchor.fm slash the Iran podcast and clicking on support. The Iran podcast is produced by Joshua Barlow in Washington, D.C. Our theme music is by 127 Band and our logo art is by Mina Jafari. Until next time, goodbye.